this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. of you that are here with kids, maybe for the first time, or maybe you're not quite comfortable putting your kids in Kids Point, we welcome them in this place too. So however, whatever you're doing with your kids, whether they're here or in Kids Point, thanks for bringing them today. Uh, The greatest influence you can have in your kid's life and helping them grow in faith is being consistent and being here with them. Uh, So thank you. That's a really big deal. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Adam and I'm the pastor here. Uh, I'm really excited for today, but I have to warn you, uh, if you've never heard me share before, sometimes I'll share a little bit about myself, and sometimes that's uncomfortable. And I have to begin today with just that. When I was younger, I was filled with all kinds of peace. Like, I was that guy that had no worries or cares in the world. Do you know that person? Right? Like, the world could literally be falling in. He'd be like, yeah, that's cool. Let's get some coffee. It'll be okay. Uh, let's, just, let's just take a nap and see what happens tomorrow. It'll be fine. And the older I got, the more that that carefree, worry-free attitude started to disappear. And I have a confession for you today. I often struggle with anxiety. And I often struggle with worry. And, and I often struggle with fear. And that anxiety and that worry and that fear can actually change the way I go about my day. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've never been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, though some days I wonder if that's where I'm at. I've never been diagnosed with anything clinical, though some days I don't know how to get through the day with my fear and my worry. And I'm not just talking about like they're totally rational fears, you know, like fears of spiders and the dark. Those make sense. Talking about irrational fears, fears of things that I have zero control over. See, a spider might scare me, but I can kill it. Problem averted. But it's the fears of things like, what happens if my wife dies? I regularly ask myself that. How would I go on living as a dad if she died, but my kids still lived? See, it'd be really, really hard to be a single parent. It'd be a really challenging thing to keep doing this job. And so I regularly find myself consumed with what if she wasn't here? What if they weren't here? And beyond these fears of people that I love hurting or dying or leaving, I, I fear other things often. And I find myself wondering, do you guys like me? Like, 
it doesn't matter how much you say you, you like me, what if you don't? And not just you, anybody I meet, maybe you're like me and you know this, that you say something that's not really that important and nobody else thinks about it. But for the next two weeks, the only thing you think about is that one thing you said and how dumb it made you look or sound and how other people must think the worst of you because of that thing that nobody else remembers. Do you have that problem sometimes? I do. And it's really hard to live with anxiety and worry and fear because I know what scripture says. I know what Jesus says. I know what he tells me about fear. Like where Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have enough worries of its own. Don't be anxious about anything. And he gives the example. He's like, look at the birds, how they're always fed. And the flowers in the field, how, how beautiful they are. God always clothes them. Look, if he'll do this for a bird or, or for flowers, how much more will he do for you? Don't worry about it. And yet I do. And, and this fear of what other people think can sometimes drive me to do really dumb things. Sometimes I won't do the things I know I need to do because what if other people don't accept me or love me or what if they reject me? This really came to a head for me several years ago. I was in Haiti. Uh, I was leading a mission trip to Haiti with a group of about five other people and we're having this great time. It was a really, really incredible experience. Uh, the kids I loved and I got to serve, phenomenal. I've been there multiple times. But this time, something was different. And I don't remember what triggered it, but I remember one night sitting on the roof as the sun was setting by myself in tears. God, why do I care so much about what other people think? Why do I always assume that I'm being rejected? That people have something against me? If you've ever lived with that kind of fear, it can be pretty crippling sometimes. Today, as we look at these letters from God, there's a church that is wrestling with these kind of fears. And specifically, what happens when we know if we go forward with what we're doing, bad stuff is coming. Like, what if I do the right thing and people hate me for it? What if I love the way I'm called to love and people reject me for it? In this letter from God we're going to look at today, Jesus speaks to this church that is consumed by fear. And he offers them some hope. In Revelation chapter 2. In the book of Revelation, God is speaking. He's revealing himself through a guy named John. And he's revealing himself as the king who reigns above all else. And because he's the king who reigns above all else, because he's in control of everything else, he writes these seven letters to seven churches and says, this is what I have against you, but this is what I have for you. This is what you're doing wrong, but this is the hope that you can have in me. Last week in the first letter, the letter to Ephesus, this church in this city, he writes about their love. Look, you... You loved one another so well at one point, but now you've gotten so consumed with being right that you've stopped loving. Remember your first love, the love of God, not only the love he has for you, but the love you have for him. Remember him and then love others. 
return to the works you used to do. But here in this letter, he says something slightly different. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. On that trip to Haiti, actually on every trip to Haiti, leading up to my trips to Haiti, I've had a recurring dream. Anybody ever have a dream more than once? You're like, I'm pretty sure I've dreamt this before. It seems really familiar. Well, this recurring dream was so realistic, I'd wake up being like, is that, okay, that wasn't actually real, just a dream. And every single time in this recurring dream, you know what I dreamt about? I dreamt about being in Haiti and being thrown in prison. Anybody ever traveled abroad thinking you might go to jail? Like I wasn't doing anything illegal, but boy, every time those wheels took off and we left Haiti, there's a sigh of relief. I'm not in prison yet. What a relief. I've never been imprisoned, thankfully, never been wrongly imprisoned in a foreign country, thankfully, but every single time I get ready to go to Haiti, I have that dream. And it's like exactly the same. And I hope it's not someday going to come true. But that fear is always kind of there. What happens if? What if? Right? Like, what would I do if I was thrown in prison? Who would come to my aid? Who would come to my rescue? What, what if that happened? Where would I be? And how would I get out? How long would I be there? Would people still trust me afterwards? What if? Jesus is speaking to this church. He says, I know your tribulation. I know the hardships you're going through. I know the trials you're facing. I know the things people are saying against you, specifically these people who claim to be Jews, but they're not, who are slandering you in every way. See, the, the church was made up of two different types of people. Made up of those who were Jewish, who knew all of God's word, his Old Testament, who knew his promises and came to realize that Jesus was the fulfillment of all of those promises. And then they began to believe in Jesus as the one they'd been hoping for. And, and many of them continued in their Jewish practices and their Jewish customs and also believed in Jesus. But then there were those who were not Jewish, who were not part of God's chosen people, who did not know all those things, who maybe lived a life that wasn't very good and lived a life that was, in fact, completely opposite of the way God had told them to live. And they came to hear about Jesus and what he had done and who he was. And they began to say, wow, this Jesus is truly God. He's worth everything. And at times, there was a clash between these Gentile people and these Jewish people, saying, who's better? Who's closer to God? Who's got it more put together? And at times, there were Jewish people who rejected the idea that Jesus was the fulfillment of all of their promises, who hated Christians, and who would come against Christians passionately, saying, you're the, the reason for all of our problems. In fact, John is writing this letter probably some 20 years after the Roman Empire came through and just completely ransacked the temple and destroyed it. 
For the Jewish people now scattered all over, uh, there was this animosity saying Christians are the reason this has happened. He says, look, I know there are some who claim to be Jews who are not, and they're slandering you. And I know this trouble that you're facing and the trouble you're going to face. Now, I would like to hear Jesus say, I know the trouble you think you're going to face. Don't worry, that's not going to happen. I would really love as a person who struggles with worry and anxiety to hear Jesus say, look, I know that you think bad stuff will come, but I've got this. I'm going to make everything good. And maybe you've heard pastors share that. All right, like if you're a Christian, God's going to make your life really good. Everything will get better. Your kids will get healed. You won't struggle with money problems. Like all your struggles and pains will go away. I wish I could tell you that was true. But that's kind of opposite of what his word says. In fact, as Americans, we're really averse to the idea of suffering. And often we think God wants to make us happy. My son said that the other day. He's five and, and we were driving the car. He said, dad, God wants to make us happy. I was like, actually, son, he doesn't. God doesn't care if we're happy. What? I try explaining to a five-year-old that. Maybe I overstepped my bounds. I don't know. I said, God loves to make us happy, but more importantly, he wants to make us holy. My son said, well, what's that mean, dad? I said, well, holy is when we're set apart. We're unlike everyone else because of what he's done. Oh, okay. I don't know how much sticks, but you know, (laughs) he acts like it does. So we'll see one day. We, We have this idea in America that suffering is a thing to actually flee from. And we should run from it because if suffering is happening, that means it's not good. And, and so we try to hide suffering and we try to negate suffering and, and we relegate it just to those people elsewhere. And when we begin to suffer, we want to find the cause. It must be your fault or maybe it's my fault or maybe it's because I did something wrong. But yet scripture says that suffering is actually a mark of Christianity. If you're a Christian there will be suffering. In fact, Jesus even said this. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. If you're following me, you will need to deny yourself and take up your cross, a brutal form of torture and punishment. Look, you will need to endure this following me. But then he follows it up with, but don't worry, for I have overcome the world. Yes, we will suffer. Yes, there will be bad stuff. Yes, it will be hard. Don't worry, it'll be okay. When I think about my wife dying suddenly or my kids dying suddenly or I think about what if every one of you began to hate me? When I think about these fears, I can become overwhelmed and unable to keep going forward. Maybe you've been there. Jesus doesn't say these things won't happen. He says it'll be okay. He doesn't say this will all disappear and life will be happy. He says it'll be okay. He speaks to this church. But behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Now, throughout the the Bible, 10 is the number of completion. It's the number of totality, of finished, like everything's done. This is why there's 10 commandments, even though there's actually 12 written there. 
it's always been viewed as there's 10. This 10 is this picture of completion. Everything's finished. And at times, 10 is used throughout this, this word to depict something that's short, but total, complete, and finished. Jesus says to this church, look, the devil's going to come against you, and for 10 days you will suffer. He's not saying literally 10 days and then your pain will go away. But he is speaking to a people who might actually be imprisoned. I was never imprisoned in Haiti, but these people could have been. In fact, many of the apostles were imprisoned. Many of the, the, the Christians at the time were imprisoned simply because they believed in Jesus. Emperor Nero was this crazy emperor who actually hated Christians and would burn them as tiki torches in his gardens. They suffered some real pain. Now, you and I are probably never going to be burned as a tiki torch. I hope. Most of us will probably never be wrongfully imprisoned. I hope. But when Jesus is writing, he's saying, look, I know there's going to be some suffering. And it will be complete and total. It will be hard. But it's only going to last for 10 days. See, at the end of that time, however long that time is, at the end of that season of suffering, it will end. It's not permanent, and it's not forever. And this is why he goes on, he says, Be faithful unto death, I will give you the crown of life. Look, this suffering might cost you everything. Just be faithful, it'll be okay. Even if you lose your life, I will give you the crown of life. I will give you something greater than what you've lost before. If you're here and fear has a way of robbing your joy, and anxiety and worry has a way of crippling you every day, if you're here and you're like, I don't like pain, trust me, it's good to not like pain. Those who like pain, that's a problem, okay? But if you're here like, I really don't want to suffer and your life is determined by what's going to cause the least pain or suffering, you're missing out. See, God's not asking us to pursue pain. He's not asking us to be masochists who desire pain. But he does say it will happen. Maybe it comes in the form of healing that never happens and you pray over and over and over again and yet you continue to be sick and to fight this battle, this struggle with whatever it is, mental illness or physical illness, whatever it is, you can't shake it. Maybe that suffering comes in the reality that some people don't like you and no matter what you do loving to them, they will continue to be against you. Bosses that will not treat you well or coworkers who will slander you or people who will call you out for things you didn't do as if you had done them. You and I could be consumed with the fear of the what ifs and it will rob us of all the joy that God has set before us. But Jesus says, look, to those who endure to those who are faithful, to those who conquer, there's hope. I love that he uses this word, conquer. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. See, overcoming fear isn't just something you can pray away and then it's gone. Overcoming anxiety and worry isn't something you can just wish disappears. Well, let me just fix my mind on positive things and it will go away. 
You can try all of these techniques and some of them may work for a little while. Maybe not. You may find yourself constantly coming back to these fears, both rational and irrational. What if, like he says to the one who conquers, the one who endures, it is a battle and a fight to believe in spite of our fears. It is a battle and a fight to follow him even when it might be really hard. When our family members don't understand or don't welcome it or don't want it. It can be really challenging to trust him when everything seems to be falling apart. What do we do with that fear? In Psalm 56, it says this, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. We don't need to take this fear and just ignore it and hope it goes away. This anxiety and this worry, the, the what if tomorrow happens differently than I hope for it? See, when we're afraid and we're plagued by that what if, we simply turn to the one who was and who is and who is to come. The one who who died and came back to life. We turn to him and say, I am afraid. I trust you. Jesus, I'm afraid of losing my family. I trust you today. I'm afraid of speaking the truth in a way that makes a lot of people mad. But I trust you today. I'm afraid of whatever this what if might be. I trust you today. And maybe it's not, I trust you today, it's I trust you right now. For this moment, I trust you. In spite of my fear, in spite of my worry, in spite of my anxiety, I trust you. In 1 John, there's this promise that perfect love casts out all fear. And I've heard that said before, like, well, just trust that God loves you and then you won't be afraid. And I trust it, but I still am afraid and worried and anxious. Perfect love casts out all fear. This does not mean you will stop being afraid. It means there will be something for you to hold on to in the middle of that storm. Something for you to cling to that is greater than your fear. Something that has already conquered for you. We are here in this place because we have one who died and has come back to life. We believe that Jesus has given everything that no matter what you face today or tomorrow or 20 years from now, no matter how hard it is, there is a love we can cling to, a love we can hope in, a love we can stand firm even when the waves are crashing over us and when we don't know what to do tomorrow with our fears, we can stand firm because of him. Jesus writes to this church and he tells them, look, I know how afraid you are. Trust me. I know how scared you are of the things you don't know. Trust me. If you're here today and you, like me, struggle with anxiety and with worry and with fears, both rational and irrational, there's hope for us. You may always struggle with those fears. There's hope for us. See, as we wrestle with those fears, we get to be faithful. And that doesn't mean we get it all right. Some days we'll do better than others, and some days we will struggle more with this fear. But we get to be faithful, which 
which means being full of believing. Believing that God is good, even when our situation doesn't look that way. Believing that he is loving and his love is greater than any of our fears, even when we don't feel that. Believing that he has a plan for us and if we can endure for only this little while, this short season, if we can press through this pain, there's something better waiting for us. And I believe that we have a world around us consumed with worry and fear that doesn't have this firm, solid foundation to hold on to. They don't know where to turn when the the media says the market's crashing. Now what? They don't know where to turn when the politician they think is going to destroy this country seems to be gaining in the polls. They don't know where to turn when everything's falling apart. But we do. If you're here today and fear and anxiety and worry consume you, God wants to use your pain and your hurt and your suffering to bring hope to those who don't yet know. And the strength that he gives to you to stand in the middle of this battle, to conquer in spite of yourself, he wants to use you to give that to others. And maybe you're here and you're like who I used to be, pretty laid back and not a care in the world. That's an incredible blessing. And he wants to use you and people like you to help people like me. When I can't see that it'll be okay, I need to see it in you. When I don't hear him saying it'll be okay, I need to hear it from you. And if you're here today and that carefree life is the blessing he's given to you, that does not mean your life is without pain and suffering. But he's given you a strength and a peace that I am desperately in need of. And my guess is people around you need it too. So whether you're filled with fear or you're filled with peace, we need to trust in Jesus. Say, God, help me today to love those who don't know how great you are and how much you've given in love for us. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that your perfect love casts out fear. And God, we thank you that though this fear may persist for a little while, Though this pain and this suffering, the anxiety and the worry may persist even still, we thank you that your love is greater, that your love is better, that your love has conquered death, that you are the one who died and came back to life. And God, because you have conquered, we too can conquer. We ask today that you would help us to be faithful, to believe in who you are in the midst of our fears to believe in your promises that though for a little while things will be tough, you're still with us and for us, and you have conquered. Though for a little while things will not go as we desire, you're still with us and for us. And may we become, Lord, a people that in spite of our fears can offer hope and peace of a life everlasting to those who don't yet know it. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's another way I didn't mention that sometimes our fear can hinder us from experiencing God's love. 
every one of us at different seasons in life, at different times in our journey, will have a season where we need help from others. A very real and tangible physical help where we need somebody to stand beside us and help us where we can't. And sometimes that's really small things, like I can't rake my leaves because of an injury or a back problem. And sometimes it's really big things, like I don't know how to pay my rent or my car is broken and I need help. But out of fear, we can sometimes not ask for help or admit that we need it. For fear of what if they look upon me as less or what if they think differently about me or what if they can't help me with my need and it's too big for them, we can say, I'll just keep it to myself. But when we allow our fear to keep us from sharing our needs, we hinder God from showing us love through his people. And so something we're going to do here at the point over this next six weeks, the rest of this year, is we want to just be here for you in your physical need. So if you have any kind of physical need, you know, maybe it's cleaning the leaves out of your gutter or helping clean the garage, and you have any reason why you can't do these things and you need us to come alongside you, big or small, uh, will you go onto our website or onto our app and let us help you? Share with us your need, and we're not going to tell anybody specifically who you are or what your need is, but we are hoping to be able to ask the church, hey, would you join us in serving one another? They've stepped out of this place of fear and said, I need help. So we're going to step out and say, we're here to help. If you have any kind of physical need, will you let us know? We want to help you. We want to love you and tell you it'll be okay, no matter what you're going through right now. As we continue our worship, we're going to collect an offering. See, we give physically with our time and with our talents, with everything we have. We also give of our finances because we believe God is doing really, really good things through us as a people. And by trusting him with our money, even when we've lost our job or even when our income seems lower than our expenses, by trusting him anyway, we say, God, don't let fear control what I do with my finances. But I want you to control it. If you came today prepared to give physically, you can give in the popcorn buckets. If you filled out one of those connect cards, or if you have any of that stuff we handed you not filled out, you can place those in the popcorn bucket that we can recycle them later. If you came prepared to give electronically, you can do that at thepointknox.com. However you give, remember it's not to get his love, but because we already have it. Will you join me in worship? So every week we invite questions, and this is the part of the service where we take time to address them as well as we can. Somebody texted in, Hakuna Matata. Amen, right? It means no worries for the rest of your days, except for when they come anyway. Uh, next, how come if Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains, but when I'm alone, I still have faith, and yet finding new friendships is so difficult? I think oftentimes we take things that Jesus says and we've heard people interpret them in ways that's not at all what he's saying. Uh, when he says you can move mountains, he's not saying that everything will go your way, that everything will go the way you desire. In fact, especially when it comes to making friends, making friends is really hard because it requires being vulnerable and, and being open about who you are, but it also requires other people being vulnerable about who they are. And that's scary in this world. What if they're not who I thought they were? Or what if I'm not who I thought I was? And so sometimes uh, faith to move mountains doesn't actually mean uh, like, oh, everything will go easy and go my way. But sometimes it means I'm willing to trust and believe even when it's really hard. 
And if you're here and you're struggling to make friends, we want to help you connect with other people, um, either in a connect group or by joining us and serving and set up and tear down in all the various ways on Sunday morning. Uh, I would love to grab coffee with you and just hear more about your journey and and how we can help because making friends makes a big difference. Uh, Next up, if Jesus descended into hell and defeated the devil, why are we still fighting Satan? Well, the truth is we live in a tension between now and not yet. Uh, I like to use the, the illustration of World War II. Uh, the, the, what was it? Normandy, right? The Battle of Omaha Beach where we stormed the beach and we invaded Europe. Historians look back on that moment and say that was the defining moment where victory happened in World War II for the Allies. But more people died after that than before that. See, Victory doesn't mean the battle's over. We have victory over Satan and over the devil because of what Jesus has done, because he died and he rose again. We have total victory. And yet he's still, for a season, roaring around, seeking to still kill and destroy. And so we trust and we hope in that victory, and we continue to believe in what God has accomplished, even though we don't yet see it in its fullness. All right, next up, uh, these last two. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 34, not to worry. Does that make anxiety a sin? I don't know if anxiety is or is not a sin. I would say uh, what you do with that anxiety is where you determine is it a sin or not. If that anxiety cripples you to say, God, you're not good or you're not real or you're far from me, probably a sin. If that anxiety causes you to draw near him and say, I can't do this. I can't even get out of bed this morning. Help me. I don't think it's a sin. And th- in fact, I think it's the natural result of this broken world we live in. And so um, are you sinning when you're filled with anxiety? Maybe. The promise is you're forgiven no matter what. All right. Next up, how tightly or loosely is the point associated with our denomination? Uh, how does the denomination play into church structure, beliefs, and doctrines? If you're not familiar with the point, uh, you might, may or may not know that we are a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Uh, that means we have certain sets of beliefs and things we hold to, and we've agreed with other churches around the country and even around the world to say, hey, we're going to be in this together, and we're going to partner for accountability and for encouragement and for resources. We're going to help with the same goal in mind. Now, how closely do we fit with the denomination? Um, Well, we believe it's important to support the church, and so we financially give to support our denomination and the work they're doing in planting churches and reaching the lost in other parts of our country and the world. Not only that, we uphold the teachings and the the faith. We believe what they believe. Uh, Now, our practice looks different in a lot of ways. Uh, We can believe the same thing and express that belief in various ways. So not a lot of Lutheran churches meet in movie theaters. And that's okay, but we do. And we may not always meet in a movie theater, but we do for now. And and so uh, how closely do we hold to them? Uh, We believe what they believe, we teach what they teach, and we partner together as often as possible for the sake of connecting the disconnected. And wherever it's going to hinder us in connecting the disconnected, we do things differently. Because connecting the disconnected is more important than any tradition or custom or practice of man. Uh, If you'd love to learn more about that, I would love to share more with you and talk more with you um, over coffee or beer or lunch. Any of those sound excellent to me. 
Now, normally this is the part of the service where I give a blessing from Numbers, the blessing, it's known as the Aaronic benediction, the blessing given to Aaron and those who are priests before God. But I thought today it seemed fitting to give you a different blessing. See, in the book of Philippians, Paul is writing to this church and he says, do not be anxious about anything. And in the very next verse, he says this, and may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what I want you to hear today. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. That whatever pain or suffering or anxiety or fear or worry you may be walking through, his peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard you and keep you until the end. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. 